so we are in Galatians, and we're in Galatians chapter 5. We are cruising right along a chapter a week. I'm digging it. And um, how many of you guys are enjoying our time through the book of Galatians? I'm going to end. Yeah, that's awesome. That's impressive. We're going to take a lot of time once we hit Ephesians, just because uh, we're going to take a little bit more time. Um, I do want to let you guys know, I've been studying like super hardcore for Revelation. Um, so come, come summer. It's probably going to happen before summer. Uh, new, like uh, That's a spoiler alert. But if we keep up the same pace we're going, we'll hit Ephesians in like a month and a half. We'll hit... Um, Philippians and Colossians in another month and a half. So we're, we're going to be cruising, and then we'll hit, uh, hit Revelation. It's going to be fun. Um, but if you guys remember, the book of Galatians is six chapters. These six chapters are broken into how many different uh, groups? Uh, broken into three groups. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, three groups. The first group, uh, Paul is talking about his experiences. If we were to put one word on the uh, chapters one and two, it would be Paul being, uh, say it a little bit louder, Paul being personal. personal. Chapters three and four, Paul is being what? Doctrinal. Doctrinal. He's hammering out uh, some theological truths. Uh, and now what we're going to see tonight is Paul takes the pra- uh, uh, the personal and he infuses the doctrinal, and when you infuse your personality with doctrine, you get practical ways to live out your faith. And so we're going to see Paul get really practical, picking up here uh, in chapter 5. We're going to see this lifestyle Christianity, a way in which we are to live our lives uh, as people who acknowledge the fact that Jesus paid the price for us uh, when he died on the cross, and that uh, when it comes to the gospel, it is truly Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Uh, that's the sermon title uh, or, or, or the, the sermon series through Galatians, Jesus plus everything or Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Uh, and it really does hinge on that. And we're going to see that tonight. Um, let's pick up and we're going to read a few verses. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter uh, and then we're going to dive in and see what uh, Paul had to say uh, to the church of Galatia. This is what it says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the entire law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion does not come from him, but him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer the persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use the liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you consume, or lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall fulfill the lusts, uh, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Dear God, we thank you so much for this evening. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. God, I pray that when we come and, and when we take a look at the scriptures, God, I pray that we would not just come to an event with a book, but that we would have the mindset of Christ, that we would come into the presence of God Almighty, uh, and that we would spend time hearing what his spirit has to say to us. God, your word encourages us. Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And God, I pray that as we spend time looking at your perfect word, God, that we would be perceptive to what you have for us. That we would be discerning to the Spirit and what he has for us in his word. And God, I pray that uh, as, as we take heart and listen to what you have to say, God, that we would stand fast. That we would hold fast to the truth of who you are, of what you've done, and what you are doing for us. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray tonight that you would speak to us through your word. God, I pray that none of this would be of me, but God, that you would have your way tonight. So God, we thank you, we praise you, in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. 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 The book of Galatians, uh, yes? I just want to say that verse 12 is absolutely my favorite. Favorite verse of all time? Favorite verse of this chapter. Oh, yeah, this chapter. Yeah, it's, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. It's an intense verse. Um, the book of Galatians, as, as Paul's writing this letter to the church in Galatia, Paul doesn't pull any punches. Uh, he's going all out. Uh, some people have said that the book of Galatians is a mini book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans is like the expanded Paul uh, going all theological on this church uh, in Rome. But here, he's, he's not pulling punches. He's short and sweet, but the sweetness is kind of like that bittersweet Uh uh, you might have won the fight, but you got punched in the face pretty hard. Uh, and, and Paul's not pulling any punches. And he's letting these people in Galatia know, hey, there's some things that you're doing wrong, and I've got a personal story for you. And now I'm going to address what you're doing wrong, and I'm going to lay down some doctrine for you. But because I love you, I'm going to punch you in the face, and I'm going to help you up and grab you an ice pack and give you some practical ways to live your life. Um, and, and Paul, Paul's a stud when he does this. Um, I, I was talking with uh, a fellow pastor. Uh, he's, he's also a teacher and a chaplain. And I, I was saying, uh, cause he and I have been talking about Galatians. Uh, and I said to him, I said, yeah, man, we preached out of Galatians chapter four, uh, last week. And he says, oh man, Galatians chapter four, what did you do? Just read the Read the chapter and leave it at that because really you don't have to add to anything Paul says, uh, cause Paul just nails it home. Uh, and, and I said, well, in all reality, that's pretty much what we did. We read it and we threw a word here or there. But uh, and then I said, I, I picked up one of the students and carried him and then I fought him in the mud. It was great. Uh, but uh, uh, Paul, Paul says what he means and he means what he says. When the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this uh, some 1900 years ago, um, he, he, he was to the point. Uh, God, God had a specific uh, thing for the church in Galatia, and it, it's specific to us, the church today as well. As I told you, I've been studying Revelation. I've been I've been in the first three chapters of Revelation now for over a month, just marinating uh, almost daily on on what Jesus is saying to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and I'm just it, it strikes me every time. He says, "He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches." Uh, and, and I know Galatia isn't one of the, the seven churches uh, that Jesus wrote the letters to uh, through John, but the Spirit holds true um, in any one of these letters. As, as, as Paul's writing to specific churches that had specific people, that had specific issues, and he had to address specific situations, the Holy Spirit is so perfect in his inspiration of Scripture that those things speak to us today. And everything that exists in every single one of these churches exists in every church today. And we need to be people who listen to what the Spirit has to say to the church. And how do we know what the Spirit says to the church? It's, it's by spending time reading the Scriptures. I was talking to another guy uh, this morning, actually, uh, who was a great Bible teacher. And he was telling me, uh, he said, I hear so often people talk about how we wish the church 
was like it was in the first century. Uh, and he, he and I both got a chuckle out of that because the, the first century is the church that I study. Like, like I love the first and second century church. Um, really just because I like the people who wrote down what the disciples told him. That's really cool. Uh, but when, I was, when we were having this conversation, he said, it's funny when people say that because when they actually look at the first century church, they realize it's the same church today. When you look at the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, when you look at every letter that Paul's writing, he's writing to the church in Galatia. It's people trying to add rules to Scripture. Does that happen today? Yeah. Does that happen in, in, in mainline denominations, let alone all the cults? Yeah, it happens today. You look at the church in Corinth, and Paul's addressing some sexual problems. Does that happen in the church today? Do people still have sexual problems in the church? Yes. And it still needs to be addressed. Paul also addresses uh, issues of uh, Christ's return. He addresses issues uh, of spiritual gifts. Are those still problems in the church today? So when we really look at it, when, when, when the Holy Spirit has inspired a writer to write to a church specific, uh, we should really pay attention to what these things are saying. Am I, am I saying that the epistles hold more weight than the rest of the book? That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we can learn a lot about ourselves. And we can learn a lot about what God's plan is for ourselves when we look at the epistles in a deeper way. So, that being said, Galatians chapter 5. We've, we've made the shift. We've, we've jumped from the doctrinal uh, point over to the practical point. Uh, and he opens it up with this. Stand fast, therefore. Now, we have to stop right there. Three words into this chapter, and we have to stop. And I, I covered this portion just a little bit last week because, really, whoever added the chapters and, and the verse numbers, uh, it's, it's really a bummer. It's really confusing at times uh, because this stand fast, therefore, all, like all of verse 1 should be in chapter 4 because in order to understand why we're standing fast— and how we can stand fast, we have to understand the previous few verses. Now, I'm not going to go back and read them, and I'm just going to briefly discuss this because I said it last week. But he's comparing uh, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, and one being uh, representative of, of uh, the spirit and the other being representative of the flesh and how they're warring against each other, but that we are no longer slaves to our flesh but we are now sons because of the Spirit. And because we're sons of the Spirit, that is why, verse 1, we can stand fast. Stand fast. Hold fast. Stand rooted. Be firmly founded in the ground. Immovable. Unable to be shaken. Why? Because you have liberty in Christ. It says this. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again to the yoke of bondage. He says, hey, you are rooted. You can't be moved. Other uh, writers in scripture refer to the righteous as trees uh, being planted by uh, streams of living water. We are oaks of righteousness. Uh, we got roots and our roots should be deep so that the winds of the world come when these, uh, when, when these pressures from the outside, when they come pushing against us. Uh, we don't waver. Uh, same thing when temptation comes, we don't waver. When the opportunity to sin arises, we don't waver. Because when we do waver, remember what Jesus said in John 8. He said, he who sins is a slave to sin. But he said, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So do not be entangled again to bondage. He goes on to say this, and I think this is awesome. Because anytime Paul gets like real personal... Um, it it's like the equivalent of receiving a text message in all caps. You're like, oh, I better pay attention to this. This person might be a little fired. Um, Paul says this, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you. Now it's like, Psh. I know he already addressed the letter. We already know who this letter's from. But he's like, let me remind you, this is me, like greatest apostle numero uno. I'm telling you, he wouldn't say that about himself. He'd say I'm the least of the apostles, but... Uh, he did a lot for the church in the first century. He says, I say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. That's heavy. That's heavy. What he's in essence saying, let's put it in context. You have these people who have crept up into the church in Galatia are telling the Christians that they have to become circumcised and become practicing Jews in order to attain salvation. Paul says, if you give in to that nonsense... 
Christ's work on the cross is no longer applicable to you. You have shut Christ down. That's heavy. That's heavy. Now let's take it from that context, because we don't have people trying to make us Jews in the church today. But we have people being legalistic in the church today. We have people who add to the work Christ did, and they say, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this, or else you're not saved. And if we give in to that, then we're saying, sorry, Christ, thank you for your work that you did for me, but I think I need to do a little more work because you didn't do it all. It's not Jesus paid it some, and I have to pay the rest. It's Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Now, what are some of these things? Well, there, there are people and there are denominations, there are uh, pseudo-Christian cults. Uh, I'll use pseudo-Christian cults when I refer to like people like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, which many of us have friends who are probably Jehovah's Witness or Mormon. Anyone have a Mormon friend? Anyone have a Jehovah's Witness friend? Um, if you didn't raise your hand, I encourage you to make a friend with a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. You can have some very lively conversations. Um, but do not be swayed by what they have to say because they add. There are people who take what James says, and James says faith without works is dead, and they take that and they twist it so much to be, if you do not have works, then you do not have salvation. You have to earn your forgiveness. You have to earn your salvation the way you have to earn wages at work, and you can't get the paycheck of eternal life until you do the work. That's saying, thank you, Jesus, but no thank you. Let me do it. And many of us probably have friends who at some level believe this about Christianity. How many of you have ever heard or had a friend say, Christianity is a bunch of rules or it's a bunch of do's and don'ts? Anyone ever have so? Here's the thing. There are, I don't even want to say rules in the sense of rules. There's, there's ways in which we live our life in Scripture. Yeah, because we want to. In, in many cases, it's not because we have to or it's not because we want to. It's because we get to. Yeah. How awesome is it to, to live in freedom and because of freedom, we get to live a life that is more full. But there are people who say it's rules, it's rules, it's rules. And what's scary is the rules push people away from giving their lives to Jesus. And the reality is the rules do not exist. But if we apply those rules to ourselves, and we say, I must live by these rules in order to be saved, then we are now making what Jesus did on the cross null and void. Now, I need to stop there and say this, because this is the question that Paul brings up in every single one of his letters where he talks about grace and grace alone. He then always goes on to say, so because we have that grace, does that mean we can just sin? He says, certainly not. Certainly not. There, there's a part of this life of freedom where, from a human standpoint, it feels like we're paying God back. We owe God. We don't owe God anything because he says we don't. But out of gratitude, out of love for what he's done for us, he set us free. He calls us to live a certain way. He goes on to tell us, uh, uh, as John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us in First John, that if we love him, we will do his commandments. It's not, if we want to be saved, we will follow these guidelines. No, it's if we love him, we'll do these commandments. He, he goes on elsewhere to say, uh, in this very chapter, hey, if you got the Spirit living inside of you, then you're going to deny the flesh. And we're going to get onto that in just a little bit, because there's some really important things and some questions that we might answer uh, tonight. But let's jump into verse 3. This is what verse 3, he says, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is now a debtor to keep the whole law. Paul, in essence, says, all right, if you want to do it, do it. But you have to do it. If you want to attach yourself back to the law, the law you've been set free from, if you want to attach yourself back to it, you better fulfill the law completely. If you want to live and receive salvation. But here's the reality. Paul says, I fulfilled the law to its fullest extent until I realized it was spiritual. And then I realized, oh, wretched sinner that I am. I am the worst of the worsts. 
Because it's hard enough to attain the fulfillment of the law in a physical standpoint. But it's doable. Just barely, you know? But that's not the intent of the law. The law has a deeper level. The law is spiritual. And once you realize that the law is spiritual, keeping it and fulfilling it, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. You ain't Jesus, bro. Jesus can do it. And Jesus did it. And because Jesus did it, he said, hey, I've given you liberty. Now live in it. So Paul is really hammering home, hey, don't give in to this heresy garbage. Don't let people add to what Jesus did. And we see it so often in churches today. People say you have to play certain kind of music. And if you don't play that kind of music, well, then you're a bad church. If it's not hymns only or if it's not super contemporary, like you just see people. Uh, I mean, it can be from the most petty things. What kind of Bible are you using? Oh, you don't have the King James? Oh, you are a sinner. Oh, you got the ESV? Oh, that's the evil Satan version. You got the NIV? That's the nearly inspired. No, you need to have this. No, man, if people start adding that kind of stuff, if people start adding those rules, you're, you're now saying, I can do better than Jesus. What's my response? Well, no water, bro. No, I mean, you can't do better than Jesus. Um, Paul really really inspires uh yet kind of frightens you away from uh from adding to scripture and adding to what jesus has already done he says this he says you have become estranged from christ Ugh, that is a terrifying place to be estranged from christ uh that situation would be like hell you know completely separated from god um i don't want to be in that hellish situation where i'm estranged from christ so i'm not going to add and I encourage you not to do that either. He says, you who have attempted to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. It just got even heavier. Uh, fallen from grace means uh, you have legitimately now at this point, you have rejected Jesus. You've said, uh, spit to the face, I'm walking this way. And we could get into a whole lot of conversation about that. Uh, and, we, and we can do that at a different time. Uh, we'll probably actually talk about some of this when we get to the, the churches in Revelation. So, so maybe put a little dot next to this in your Bible. Maybe underline this phrase, fallen from grace. Uh, and just put a little reminder. Uh, remind Pastor Matt to talk about this in our Revelation series. Uh, because we're going to really talk about that. Because there's some questions that people have. Can I lose my salvation? Can my name be uh, blotted out of God's book? Uh, can I be uh, saved at one time? Uh, and then not saved again and become saved again. What did Jesus mean when he said uh, this sin is unpardonable? We're going to talk about that at a later point. Uh, but I do want to encourage us, if we add to Scripture, if we add to what Christ did, uh, we're walking a very, very fine line. Um, and Paul has some harsh words for those who do. So I just want to encourage us not to. And when we hear it, when we hear it, because you will hear people talk about some of these things. Uh, encourage them, hey, let's stick to Scripture. Let's not go outside of Scripture. What does Jesus say? What does the Bible have to say about what you're saying right now? Um, I mean, I, I go into example after example after example after example. Uh, anyone ever seen me have a pair of jeans that had holes in them? Uh, I was told by someone once uh, that uh, God does not approve of that. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and I was like, wow, I, I did not see that in Scripture. Uh, I Because I'm a little bit on the edgy kind of side. I said, well, he said, be holy, for I am holy. Uh, and uh, that, one, that one went over like a lead balloon. But, uh, uh, but here's the reality. If we try and add, we begin to make it something more. And when we make it more, in all reality, we're making it less than what Jesus had intended it for. That makes sense. Okay, enough uh, beating this dead horse. Um, he says this in verse 5. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now, what does it mean when he says he eagerly waits for the hope of righteousness by faith? What is the hope of our righteousness? What is this thing, this faith? Faith being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is the hope of righteousness that we eagerly wait for when we live in the Spirit? Yeah. 
to be with Christ. You've heard me say it before, but hope is the absolute expectancy of good to come. If your faith is in Jesus, what is the good that's going to come? It's heaven. It's eternity. The blessed hope of the believer is an eternity spent in the presence of God. That's epic. And when we put our faith in Jesus, that's ours. When we begin to add to, we begin to drop the hope by the wayside. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails to anything. Faith working through love. He says, man, if you're in Christ, who cares what culture? Who cares what race? Who cares what your background is? When you're in Christ, we are all one and the same. Sinners saved by grace. And now we have a commission. If, if, if there were rules in Christianity, they're summed up in one word. It's love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of the prophets, all of the rules and regulations hang on that. If you don't love, then the love of God is not in you. Um, And he's going to talk a little bit about love in just a second. Um, He goes on to say this, um, talking about how the law is fulfilled um, with love. Um, but before he, he, he dives into that, he talks about this person uh, or, or this group of people who are the dissenters within the church. Uh, and he says, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you now. What Paul's saying, he's saying, hey, don't be swayed by these people who speak elegantly and say that the Lord has given them a message, that they have a revelation from Jesus Christ, that, hey, this is new. I got something from God, and it's for you, and it's, it's adding to God has a new message for the church today. He says, don't be swayed by those people because that persuasion does not come from him who called you. How many of you have ever had someone... Um, uh, heard of someone, maybe you've heard someone, or maybe you know just a little bit about history, ever heard of someone who has a new word from the Lord? Okay? Yeah, so, so a few of us. Uh, I'll, I'll give a few historical examples of people who had a new word from the Lord. Okay? Uh, Muhammad. Uh, this unimportant nomad from Arabia who became very important when he had a new revelation from God. Uh, it's called Islam, and it's like one of the largest religions in the world. It is a false religion based on the pretenses of a new revelation. But this persuasion did not come from him who first called. He obviously didn't yeah, he, he, yeah he, he wasn't doing his homework. Um, all right, I got another one. Joseph Smith. I have a new revelation. A 14-year-old treasure hunter. Uh, who likes witchcraft, and uh, Jesus gave me a message to give to the church that I'm the greatest thing that has ever lived, and he gave me a little golden book to, to let the whole world know that there's new hope. Um, yeah, he had cool glasses too. Uh, adding to Scripture. I mean, I, I could stand up here for days and give you historical examples, but here's the reality. People are still doing it in the church today. There are certain denominations that claim to be Christian where people will get up and they say they have new revelations that the Spirit's talking to them and that do this and this. And then when you look at what they have to say and compare it to Scripture, it doesn't line up. Yet they say it's from the Lord. How do we know? Well, let me let you in on a little secret. Paul gives us the, the way we can test it. What does he say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? He says, do not despise prophecies. Do not quench the spirit. He says, but test all things and hold on to what is good. So if someone's got this prophecy, if someone's got this revelation, if someone says, woo, God told me this and it's for you. What do you do? You don't be like, dude, you're crazy. Stop talking to me. Yeah, you just say, all right, awesome. Let me compare what you have to say to scripture. And if it lines up with scripture, take it and receive it. It's encouraging. But if it does not line up with scripture... Throw it by the wayside and maybe go talk to that person and be like, hey, man, what you said didn't line up with Scripture. And because I love you and I care for you, uh, I want to help you out here. And I want to let you know what Scripture has to say. And then you can let them know that, like, 
You know, in the Old Testament, if someone did that and it didn't line up with God's word, they'd stone him and kill him. So praise God, we live in grace. But <laughs> maybe don't say that. You might get a restraining order. Uh, but the reality is, if we add, it's a problem. And the adding does not come from God. God said it. He meant it. It's done. It comes from doctrines of demons. Paul says earlier, he says, if any apostle or angel comes to you preaching you any other gospel than that which I preach, Christ and him crucified, then you do not listen to it. Flee from it. He goes on to say this in verse 9. He said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. My grandma always used to tell me when I was younger, she said, a pint of poison poisons the entire lake. It doesn't take much of a bad thing to ruin a great thing. If, if you had a lake of fresh water and you just put a little vial of the most deadly poison in it, of pretty quick, pretty quick, that, that reproduces itself and now the entire lake is bad and it is no longer drinkable. What Paul's saying here, and he's using this, this uh, understanding in the Jewish culture of leaven, um, and leaven, when, when you make bread, leaven is the agent that makes the bread rise. And he says, even just the tiniest little bit of leaven in the bread, it's no longer flatbread. It's going to rise up. And uh, he says a little leaven leavens the entire lump. He's speaking both spiritually and he's speaking to our lives. Throughout scripture, leaven is uh, a type of sin. And he's encouraging Christians, hey, even a little unchecked sin in your life, it's going to destroy your life. So make sure you don't have unconfessed sin. But he's also speaking to the church as a whole. And he says, hey, a little bit, even a little bit of heresy, a little bit of offness, it's going to ruin the entire testimony of the church. That's why you'll hear Pastor Dave, you'll hear me. When, I, when we say, hey, when we're preaching, if you hear something that's like, hmm. I don't know about that. Go check it for yourself. I promise you this. I'm not going to ever purposefully say something that's off. But there will be times. I preached on a Sunday morning. I, it was probably two times ago when I preached on a Sunday morning. I talked about how Moses put animals on an ark. That didn't happen. Now, that was a slip up. And I was just, I was going. Um, but, so luckily it wasn't like a heretical thing. It was just a misquote of uh, scripture. But uh, people need to call us out. When, when, when a preacher says something that's a little bit off, because a little bit off unchecked can lead to a lot bit more off until you can get down to this entire thing where you're, you're way off. Um, I'll get to you in just a second. Uh, one example, modern day. Um, there was a great youth leader, uh, solid youth pastor, became a lead pastor, put out this amazing video series that like every youth group was using across America, all over the world. Uh, he was he was super just like uh, over the top charismatic in his presentation. Uh, he, he was he was talking about how we can live our lives through the spirit and, and, and how Christ has set us free and all this amazing stuff. But every once in a while, he'd say something you're just like, man, that sounds a little just like weird. And, and, and like if you were really spending some time looking at it, you're like, that's kind of new agey. That's a little bit weird. Well, then he releases a book. He releases a book um, that in the end, no one, no one goes to hell. There's no such thing as hell because how could a loving God send people to hell? And, 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 and so he, he teaches this heresy. And then he goes on like Oprah and he gets endorsed by Oprah. And then he's like, well, you know, God created evolution and evolution i mean like the, the earth has been here billions of years and he started out as like pebble being off but man boom boom, boom. He, he pastored a mega church the mega church like had to ha had to remove him from the pastorship because he was uh talking some crazy heresy uh and he is like the greatest can you be the greatest heretic of our time um i don't know if you can be a great heretic uh but here's the thing the when the world sees him when he appears on Oprah, he's a uh, world-changing Christian leader. But the problem is a little leaven leavens the lump. And so the world gets a false gospel from this false teacher. If you want to know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about, a, I, I don't normally name drop in sermons, uh, but I'm okay name dropping because this dude's just a heretic. Uh, do not read Rob Bell. 
if you see anything from Rob Bell or, or listen to a sermon from Rob Bell, uh, the guy's a little bit wacko. Uh, and so uh, Paul would have some words with him. John, uh, John, <laughs> so there was a heretic in the day when, when, when John was writing uh, the book of Revelation and he was writing his letters and his gospel. Uh, it was a heretic by the name of Serinthius. Everyone say Serinthius. So Serinthius was this dude who, who had a weird heresy about the divinity of Christ. Uh, and one day, John and one of his disciples, Polycarp, are hanging out in a public bathhouse. Modern day, he was at the local aquatic center. Just chilling. And he's hanging out on these baths. And he overhears, from like across the room, he overhears Serentius. Serentius is just doing his thing. Like, hey guys, how's it going? Oh, I didn't see you in church on Sunday. He's just like, John hears him. And John turns to Polycarp and he says, we need to flee this bath right now. So they're like, get up, towels on, and they're running. They, they hit the streets running. And Polycarp's like, why are we running? Paul says, or, or, or John says, I would rather be running from that place then have the building crash down on me because God decides to smite a heretic. So John would have some words for modern day heretic. Right? I mean, th- this, is, this is John. He's a boss. He's like 90 years old, just like booking it down the street. Like, don't want the building to fall on me because there's a heretic in it. Uh, like, that's how we should be when false teaching is around. We should hightail it and get out of there. Because who knows if God's going to have some words. Okay. You were going to say something. Yeah, hell is one. It's eternal. It's not like annihilation. Uh, and 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 we are uh, we are outside of God's presence, and we are receiving uh, the full extent of the wrath of God. Uh, and here's the thing: God doesn't send people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go to hell uh, by not receiving the free gift that Christ has for them. All right, let's jump in. He goes on to this. He says, "I have confidence in you, in the Lord." That you will have no other mind. What he's saying is, uh, you will have no other mind than the mind of Christ. Have this one mind, the mind of Christ. Understand the gospel. He says, I have confidence in you. But then he throws this little tagline, I have confidence in you in the Lord. Because I know you can't do it in and of yourself. But I have confidence that the spirit who's doing a work in me is going to continue his work in you. And that you are going to overcome and you're going to be one-minded. And it's the gospel. He says, but he who troubles you, yeah, he's going to receive it. Whoever he is. Like God's got something for this dude. Who knows exactly who this guy was in Galatia. Uh, but these Judaizers, um, they they fizzle out pretty quick. They fizzle out pretty quick within the next hundred years. He said, did I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision. He's saying, uh, if, if, if these guys are telling you that I'm about what they're about. He says, then why do I still suffer persecution? Who was the main people that persecuted Paul? It wasn't the Romans. The Romans really could care less about what Paul was doing. It was the priests and it was the people in the synagogue. The Jews were like, dude, shut your mouth. And they'd throw rocks at him and they'd kick him out of towns and they'd beat him up. And he says, if I'm preaching Judaism, then why do the Jews hate me? I, he's like, doesn't add up. Uh, he says, and if I do that, then the effect of the cross has ceased. Um, he said, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Uh, Paul isn't messing around. Uh, he's talking, he's like, I wish these people would mutilate themselves. Um, I mean, it's intense. And, and um, when you take it in the context of what he's talking about when it comes to Judaism, uh, Paul is not pulling punches. Uh, let's move on uh, to, to verse 13. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. That's freedom. Only do not use the liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. You got freedom. Don't use that freedom in a bad way. He says, but use the freedom to serve one another, to love one another. For the entire law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Hey, you reap what you sow. If you're a backbiter, if you're a gossiper, if you're someone who's being rude to your brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, just know that it's probably going to come full circle. It's going to come full circle. You reap what you sow. It's the law of the harvest. Pastor Dave talked about it in a different context this morning. Uh, But it applies to everything in our lives. He goes on to say this, and this is what I really want us to focus on. Holy moly, how long have I been talking? 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, it is cold up here. Okay, uh, I'm going to end in like five minutes on these last ten verses. He says this. Uh, throw something at me. No, uh, throw something at me at 725. Um, I know I just gave myself an extra amount of time, but whatever. It says this. And I say then, walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey, here's the thing. You can't serve two masters. If you want to sin, you're going to sin. But if you want to love Jesus and you walk in the spirit, you're not going to sin. You are going to be free from the sin. Now, I'm going to address that because I just said, hey, if you love Jesus, you're not going to sin. You're like, I'm a human. I still sin. We're going to talk about that in just a second. He says this, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, he's going to break something down here. He said, now, the works of the flesh are evident. He said, sin, you're not going to miss it. It's, It's pretty evident. Adultery, fornication. So anything that's sexually wrong, sexually deviant, uh, it's evident. And it is a problem. And he says, cut it out. Do not do it. Uncleanness, he's not talking about if you forget to shower. He's talking about your thoughts. He's talking about how you put your thoughts into action. Lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Okay, and I want to stop there real quick. That's sorcery. Because many of us, if not all of us, we don't have friends who are wizards, okay? Uh, uh, you may, you may. There, there, there are people who practice witchcraft. Yeah, I mean, you might know people who are a part of Wicca and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, the Greek word for sorcery here is pharmakeia. Uh, the, the English word of pharmakeia from the Greek is pharmaceuticals. Uh, so sorcery here uh, is referenced... To like to drug use because in the day in the day how you did wizardry and sorcery and all was you had to get pretty high and you had to start doing some things you're like oh, the spirits are talking to me lightning hands um, and uh, but here's the reality Paul says drug use has no place in the life of a believer drug use has no place in the life of the believer. So the question is asked nowadays, oh, hey, well, marijuana is now legal, and, and the Bible doesn't say anything against tobacco, and doesn't say anything like against just a drink here or there, and, and so that, since that's not sin, because the law allows it, now that the law allows marijuana, does that make marijuana okay for a Christian to use recreationally? But here's the thing, that's, that's sorcery. That's pharmakeia. And so getting high with the express... Of, of getting high, an altered state of mind, that's against scripture. What if it's medical? That's a different story. Um, but even at that, people abuse medicinal... No, if it has like HTC taken out of it. We could... Yes. Okay. And, 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 and we could talk... Uh, I, I've had many conversations about, uh, well, if that is that, well, should someone use aspirin? Should someone use... Like, and there are some things to be said about don't like not using any drugs but god has also given doctors and pharmacists uh knowledge and uh they have made some life-saving drugs and uh but what they're getting at here is is drug use for the express use of altering our mindset which is the definition of a drug yeah which is the definition of a drug and uh in the ancient sense that's sorcery uh, we have examples of uh, priestesses and, and, and sorceresses, uh, witches, uh, who, who would be in these caves in ancient Greece, and they would, they would come under these weird trances and hallucinations where they'd be able to like predict the future. But a lot of the times it didn't work, and uh, we can go to these same caves today and find that there are um, these, these vents in the ground, these tunnels in the ground that come from deep within the earth where there is chemical experiences taking place that then get released as steam, but the steam is a chemical steam that is actually a drug that induces a, a, a hallucinogenic high. Uh, that's sorcery, so stay away from drugs uh, as a Christian. Selfishness. Hatred, contentions, jealousies. Anyone ever had an outburst of wrath before? Where you just like unleash the rage and get angry? Um, and math, so, so here's the thing. That's, that should not have any place in the life of a believer. 
We should be people who are tempered. Um, has anyone ever had a selfish ambition before? Okay. These should not be things that are in the life of the book. Uh, dissensions, heresies. We talked a little bit about heresies. Envy. Anyone ever envied before? I mean, let's be honest, right? Murders. Well, none of us hopefully have committed murder, but Jesus said, Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So drunkenness, revelries, um, and the like. He said, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's straight up. He said, if you practice these things, you will not go to heaven. Now, when I just said, and, and everyone's like, oh my gosh. Pastor Matt just asked me if I'd ever done those things, and I raised my hand. Did Matt just say I'm not going to heaven now? No. He said practice. If you do it on purpose. With, with the express, I have set out to commit this sin, and I'm going to commit it regardless. That's practicing sin. When you make it a part of your everyday habit, they're like, hey, this is my sin of choice. This is what I'm going to do. I don't really care. I'm going to be good, and I'm going to be a good Christian and everything else, but that's my one sin. I'm going to practice it. Hey, that means the Spirit's not doing a work in you. This is literally a life or death situation. Literally life and death. There's a difference between practicing sin and struggling with sin. There's a difference between practicing in sin and having a failure. There's a difference between practicing sin and just committing a sin. One is, I have this evil intent that I'm going to be a sinner. Whatever. The other is, hey, I, I sinned, I messed up. What does it say? Someone who practices sin is someone who probably is not going to confess their sin. Someone who's not actually a Christian. Yeah, and, 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 and because we're told that if we confess our sins, John tells us in 1 John, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So if you're willing to confess, he's willing to forgive, which probably means you're not practicing. Now, the, the, there's always the one person who asks the question, well, what if I practice sin, but then I also make a practice of confession? So I do my confession, so I practice my sin, then I confess that my sin. Like and it, it's, yeah, that, I, at that point, at that point, it's fake. It's not realistic. And in our reality, that's adding to what Jesus did. And there's a big denomination that actually does this. I'm, I'm not going to say anything about those guys. Uh, I, love, I love them. And many of them are great. And many of them love the Lord. And many of them are saved. And many of them are going to be hanging out with us in heaven. Um, uh, for those who have to wait through their some sort of added thing to Scripture, purgatory, I, no. Not, do not add to Scripture. Do not sin. Josie. So, <laughs> No, no. Murder mur, mur, mur is is killing another human being. Uh, but it's a spider. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, Hinduism uh, would have some other things to say about that, but but that's uh, that's a false doctrine. Yeah. Okay. This is what it says, verse twenty-two, and I'm going to wrap this up right here. It says, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control." If you are a Christian. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, these things should be operating in your life. You should be someone who loves. You should be someone who's joyful. That doesn't mean you have to smile 24-7. But it means that when hard times come, you, you're, you're firm. You're rooted. Uh, peace. We should not be people who are wrathful, but we should be people of peace. Uh, patience. Anyone think they could do with some more patience in their life? Right? Kindness. Anyone ever think, man, maybe I should have responded a little kinder? Yeah. Goodness, faithfulness. How many of you guys just want to trust in the Lord a little bit more? Right? And, and, and these are things that we should be growing in gentleness, self control. Hey, you want to stop sinning? Oh, gosh, I got a pencil thrown at me. Have self control. Have self control. I need to have more self-control on the time of my sermon length. That maybe I shouldn't do a chapter in a night. But here's the reality. What we're going to do, guys, is I, I, I'm going to read these last three verses, and then we're going to pray. And what we're going to pray for is we're going to pray that we abound more and more in the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Or the fruits of the Spirit. He says this, uh, And those who are Christ, uh, who are of Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Hey, as Christians, we don't need to mess around with one another. We're brothers and sisters. Let's rock and roll for Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to close in prayer, uh, and, I, and we're, we're going to pray for these things. Dear God, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. Uh, God, we thank you that you have provided a way for us uh, to have um, freedom. 
God, I pray that we don't squander that freedom. Uh, God, I pray that we don't practice sin. Uh, and it's evident. God, if we think we're sinning or, or we think we're not sinning, uh, you, you gave us a list and we can fact check ourselves. Uh, but God, more than that, uh, I pray that we would abound in the fruit of the Spirit, that we would see the Spirit in us, that we would live in the Spirit, not only live in the Spirit, but because we are living in the Spirit, we would walk in the Spirit. God, I pray for each and every single one of us that we would abound more and more in love. God, give us more love for you. Give us more love for your people, for your church. God, give us more love for the lost. God, may we be a people, may we be a church that is known for their love one for another. God, I pray that you'd give us more joy. God, that we would abound in joy, that we would not just be happy because we know happiness is like the wind and it comes and goes. But God, we pray for the constant joy that comes from your spirit so that when hard times hit, uh, we can count it all joy when we face various trials and tribulations, knowing that these things are making us stronger and that you have something for us. God, I pray not only that we would have love and joy, but God, that we would be people who are people of peace, that we would not be quick to anger, that we would not be quick to speak, but we would be uh, slow to speak and, and, and quick to listen, that we would be people who who, who um, approach a situation and when it gets tense that we take a step back and we think before we react. God, that we would be peaceful people, that we would see Jesus' example and that we would be people of peace. Not only that, but God, uh, I know for me and I know for everyone who raised their hand as well, uh, God, we want to be people who have patience. Uh, we want to be patient people. Uh, as we patiently and eagerly await your return, God, I pray that we would be patient with people in the church and that we'd be patient with people outside the church. God, help us be kind. Uh, help us be good to our neighbors. God, I pray for the, our faithfulness, God, that we would be people who are faithful when we, when we say we're going to do something, that we do it. Um, God, that, that we would be faithful friends, that we'd be faithful family members. God, I pray that we would be faithful to you. God, I pray that you would cause our faith to increase. Your word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God, I pray that we would take your prescription and we would read your word and that our faith would grow. God, help us be people who are gentle. And God, I pray that you would give us more and more self-control. And God, that we would train ourselves to be people of control. Um, God, we thank you uh, that, that your word tells us in Ephesians that uh, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. All of the riches of heaven are given to us in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that you, uh, when, when you became man and walked among us, uh, God on earth, Jesus Christ, you said, it's better that I return so that I can send the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we would live and operate in the giftings that you have for us that you have given to every believer. God, I pray that, that we would live, that we would operate, that we would walk in these things. So God, we thank you and we praise you. We pray all this in wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.